The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Duke's Premium Meats Home Delivery is committed to providing you with the best quality meat delivered right to your door. Offering certified Angus beef, grass-fed beef, Wagyu, and many more premium options, nobody beats Duke's Meats. Make sure to check out all that Duke has to offer at dukespremiummeats.com. Chriswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today. Bernie Brand Texas-style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent Texas. Go to BernieBrand.com to find a retailer near you. That's Bernie, B-O-E-R-N-E, Brand.com. Zero Point Organics grows and supplies microgreens for over 30 major restaurants in the Houston area. Consistently perfect quality in flavor and appearance, their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero, Z-E-R-O, dash pointorganics.com. Welcome to the Cost of Goods Told podcast. I am Darren Lafferty, joined as usual by co-producer, Chef Connor Moran. Welcome to the show, sir. Man, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I like for you to show up weekly. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> so as usual, we always have a guest and we feel extremely privileged and uh, honored to have uh, two more special husband and wife team. Uh, and we love having husband and wife team. But tonight it is uh, Veronica and John Avila. That's from right. El Burrow and the Bull. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks so much for having yeah, us, man. Thanks for having us. And, and not to leave out, Henderson and Kane is, is your other location, <laughs> <clears throat> which we all know is located at the corner of Henderson and Kane. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, know we know now. So thank you guys. Look, it's I don't know if today's your day off. Normally it is for the barbecue guys, but is today your day off? No. Hardly. No, we're uh, we're we're running seven days a week at this point. But uh, then thank you for for coming oh, and man, it's and, our pleasure. and you brought some wonderful food with you, some you. some comfort food. I think we had like turkey tamales with mole sauce. We had right. some braised uh, short rib. Right, turkey tamales, turkey mole tamales. We had a uh, a short rib that was dressed with a cold brew and um, ancho. Uh, sauce man that was drizzled all though is so so good then the uh acorn squash roasted acorn squash uh, stuck with pork belly and uh roasted pumpkin (laughs) you stick a fork in me i'm done i I mean it was absolutely wonderful thank you for doing that it's a treat we don't normally we uh, we we never turn down food but uh (laughs) when you walked in with trays i'm like i'm gonna give this guy a hug (laughs) he's getting a hug our first catered podcast yeah the weather the weather's turned today of course and so we wanted to do something a little wintry perfect timing i think it was good time yeah perfect thank you weather (laughs) (laughs) thank you so let's talk about who you guys are let's talk about a little bit uh veronica tell us who you are where you grew up um and ultimately i mean how you kind of got here <laughs> How did I get here? Gosh. So I'm, I was born and raised in El Paso. Okay. Um, so you're a Texas girl. Texas girl, right on the border. Uh, spent plenty of time growing up, you know, crossing over the border and going back and forth. It's like everyday life there. Yeah. If you know anything about El Paso. <laughs> uh, but uh, I ended up in Houston because I wanted to join the military. Really? Oh, and we're on Veterans Day, so that's easy. This is Veterans Day, yeah. And as it turns out, I was one pound overweight. <laughs> and so I was not allowed to go. Are you kidding? I didn't, I didn't know that was a rule. I didn't know. It's, I don't it's know. A rule. Uh, so even though I scored like a 90-something on my ASVAP, I was not allowed to go. They even gave me a body fat test, and I was 1% over. <laughs> so Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> yeah. right. That's how I ended up moving to Houston. Okay. Studied architecture. 
because uh, my father lives here. At okay. the University of Houston. Yeah. Yeah. At U of H. So you're cougar. Yeah. And um, I, I think it was just meant to be because I don't think I would have done very well taking orders. But, um, <laughs> John, we'll hear about that in a minute. <laughs> requirement. She's right. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I moved here, studied architecture, and I just couldn't leave. I, I actually almost went back. To, I really wanted to move uh, to New Mexico. That's always been kind of a dream of mine. I okay. love New Mexico. The, the, everything from the forest to the desert. It has like such a interesting mix of everything lack of humidity lack of humidity yeah definitely (laughs) yeah so um i ended up uh but i did end up staying in houston so how long have you been in houston then i've been in houston for almost 20 years okay all right yeah and uh i spent a good portion of that time working at gensler which is um one of the largest uh, international architecture firms yeah and um did some pretty incredible stuff working for them primarily hospitality. So I started, before that I was doing restaurants, I designed restaurants like The Reef, okay. uh, a couple things for Hungry's. Uh, that was really the only local thing I had. Okay. But then I started working on hotels, so a lot of international hotels. Very cool. Um, even did one in St. Petersburg. Oh wow. Uh, so yeah. As a matter of fact, when we met, she uh, she was working in Macau, China on a casino hotel there. <laughs> and. Um, I always liked watching her come home, and she'd have these big drawings to spread out on the floor, and I'd watch her I toil over them. Pages. I would watch her toil over them, and it was very, uh, it was really cool to see. So um, we hit it off right away. <laughs> so it's something you love to do, obviously architecture. I mean, did you have a background? Was your dad in architecture? How'd no, you fall in love with that? Uh, actually, I don't know how. I used to always draw as a kid, and so I, I was also very good at math. Okay. And so in my mind, I kind of put those things together and. That was what equated to architecture. Okay. That's really all I knew about architecture until so no I started studying it. No food background at all? N- well, kind of. My grandparents actually had a, a Mexican restaurant. Okay. Um, I never knew the restaurant because they retired mm-hmm. uh, when I was really young. And uh, they opened a food truck and would only <laughs> serve on the weekends. So I remember the food truck. Okay. So I think you said that that was like their mm-hmm. retirement little yeah, plan or yeah, something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, But my grandparents met because my grandmother was working in a tortilla factory and my grandfather went to like, buy tortillas from that place right <laughs> and uh that's how they met so yeah that's awesome with a with a project like designing a restaurant um we'll use maybe like a hungry's for example what what's that process like for you like i mean because you've got to you've got to take the vision of the restaurant tour translate that to Houston city, you know, um, and then kind of be that middle person in between, which both sides typically don't see eye to eye on (laughs) on quite a few. Well, I I think they should. I mean, from my perspective, architecture or really, I should say the other way around, that food is really just an extension of that. You know, you're creating an experience Mm -hmm. and and the food is the absolute last thing of the part of that experience where the architecture starts when you arrive at the, at the space or the place or right. whatever it might be. Right. And it's that whole progression to the point where you get to the table and you sit down and you have your food. All of those things, I think, should align. Okay. Yeah. So when you are designing, so if, like, let's say someone comes with a new concept or something along those lines, what, what do you look for either in restaurants when you walk in from kind of like the layout? Because you would have to think about, all right, they're coming in, double doors has an effect on this, yeah. you know, or, you know, if you have the hostess stand off to the side that allows for certain things. What are some of the key things that you look at? Because 
we all do it probably whenever we walk into a restaurant. I come from the chef side or the service side of things where I'm like, okay, I'm watching the busboys, I'm watching the servers, I'm watching the managers interact and so forth. Sure, sure. I assume part of you is kind of going, well, that's not quite to scale or something <laughs> along those lines, you know, or that should be well, three feet further back. Yeah, you know? I mean, the flow is definitely a huge part of that. And, you know, we like to say in architecture that you're essentially controlling where someone is going mm. when they come into a space. And so if you don't allow for enough space in between, you know, two people standing or the hostess stand, those things I think could be pretty critical. But sure. at the same time, you know, you're creating an extension of that food and that experience. So it could be something as, you know, home style kitchen where you're really trying to feel like you're at grandma's table when you're eating. Right. Um, all of those things play a, a different part into yeah. what you're trying to create. That's a really, I think it's a really good perspective. And, and we'll get to that as we talk more about how you plug that into your own restaurant. I think it's a really cool perspective of beginning to end and how to control the experience from someone who's just walking into the restaurant, right? So you're sort of managing expectations all along the way with the big, you know, the big food at the end, right? So yeah. people walk away with that. So when it comes to casinos, you're managing the flow to which tables, which are the most <laughs> profitable for the casinos, no, you know? That's, that's crazy. None for me. No, none of them are profitable for me. <laughs> Not for you, right? When I worked on the hotel in, in China, the one in, in Macau, you know, Macau is known as the Las Vegas of China. Mm -hmm. And um, the Parisian was the name of the hotel. Um, we actually, I met on a regular basis with the feng shui master. Mm. Oh, sure. um, <laughs> and so he would determine which quadrant of the building he thought would make the most money. And we would really have to design the entire thing, or redesign, I should say, <laughs> really? to, to uh, fit what he was suggesting. Because what? Um, what, had, what had been proven, the Venetian, there's a Venetian there in, in Macau as well that's a replica hmm. of the Venetian in Las Vegas. <laughs> and uh, they had expected to make their money back in two years and based on the feng shui master's uh guidance they made it back in eight months oh, and so they weren't not going to listen to him right <laughs> right his bonus checks were big too <laughs> well, I'm sure. yeah, that, okay. you know customers know that that's really what was going yeah. on that's gonna be a new architectural degree too it's like you know uh, i have a you know bachelor's in architecture and associates in feng shui feng you know <laughs> and it can make you some serious <laughs> in China, right? As you say. john <laughs> tell us about you I was born and raised in Houston, um, love Houston. Always have ended up back in Houston just because I, um, I don't know, I, I, I guess this is where I'm from and I just love it so much. And I've, I've seen Houston grow a lot. So You grew up on the east side? I did, um, off of Harrisburg Boulevard and 75th Street. Okay. Um, love it. Uh, we live in the east side of town now. Uh, we live off of Navigation Boulevard and we've really seen the neighborhood coming back and, and uh, there's a lot of growth. A lot of really great stuff, a lot of great art, um, now more restaurants, uh, a new wine bar actually in the area, and, and I think it's always surprising to folks to see just how well these places do, because there's a lot of folks living on that side of town. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of the oldest parts of Houston. Um, before Houston was called Houston, it was called Harrisburg City. Mm -hmm. um, it was a little bit further south, a little further southeast. Um, that's It was named after the Harrisburg family of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, and Harrisburg Boulevard was kind of the, the the road to bring you into Houston from that part over there, um, and as you know, like a lot of the Howard Hughes connections on the East End as well. Like a lot of his father's places were out there. It was a very industrial part of town as well, uh, close to the Ship Channel. 
navigation used to be a brick road to bring the goods from the ship channel to the warehouse district. There's a lot of history there. There's still a lot of brick roads back there, right? There are. Yeah. There are. And you'll see uh, you'll see some even some of the roads that are, have got the asphalt over them when there's a little chunk taken out. It's yeah. a beautiful red brick underneath. And um, I've been a couple of tamale festivals back there. The taco festival is back there put on right. by uh, Daniel Anahosa. Huh. And I, I've walked those brick roads. It's That's really right. cool. Some That's of the right. some of the preservation they've done on the east side of town. That's right. That's right. My wife has worked closely with the East End Management District on a few projects uh, one of them putting together the uh, the small kiosks on the esplanade there yeah and it was a real good education for us to see That's what's cool. funny is this lady here will um the construction will be happening on navigation there's holes in the ground and she'll see them dumping these bricks into dump trucks to take them wherever they're going to throw them out and she'll stop them and <laughs> collect them so i have a pile of bricks in the front yard <laughs> old bricks but one day treasure know, a treasure architecture right. treasure. Yeah, there you go <laughs> we'll use them one day yeah so grew up on that grew up on that side of town and really love it and uh, happy to be building our our new el burro and the bull right there on harrisburg boulevard um and uh, really looking forward to opening and serving the community. You'll be able to walk to work from there, or maybe, or uh, I ride a bike for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But it's it's so close, and and you know, right now we we've uh, for the last four years we've lived within two miles of everything that we're doing, and this is the same way. This is about a mile and a half. Very from cool. Our, our front door at home. Let me ask you. I mean, so with all of the long term residents on the east side, southeast side. How are they handling all this influx of new business and younger generation and tall you know tall high rise so sure. to speak building. How, sure. how's that i mean do you see that do you experience that same thing i mean no, i think i think just like any place where there's new stuff coming in there's there's a lot of concern yeah um a lot of the older folks are concerned that maybe what they know for the last 50 60 there's a lady that that's lived in the neighborhood for 76 years i just learned across mm. the street <laughs> and so of course they have concerns um i think you know, the neighborhood definitely needs growth. It definitely needs some improvements. But this neighborhood is really strong, always has been. Uh, for some reason, these these folks live a long time. I yeah. think it's living a good life out there. So there's a lot of folks out there that are in their 90s that, yeah. that are still there. Um, one of the things that's really good is that the grandchildren and the great grandchildren are now moving back to the neighborhood? Yeah, they're buying their are they you know they're buying the homes next to their grandparents' place. Some of them might be building new houses, but a lot of the old houses are being brought back to life. Um, they're beautiful homes, they're brick homes, solid homes built 1920s, 1930s. Uh, just needs a little bit of care and love, and then you've got a beautiful house. You know, right, that, that's ready for another 50, 60 sure. years. Sure. Um, and so that that connection, like myself, grandkids, you know, I'm, I'm the grandchild grandchild of our great grandchild. My great grandfather moved here uh, in 1912, 1913, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, started his own business, uh, uh, furniture company, um, which was off Congress Avenue on the okay. east side of the east edge of downtown. Um, and uh, I can't imagine living somewhere else in Houston. You know, I have lived in other parts of Houston. We we used to have a home in the museum district we loved it uh, but just something about the east end really feels like home for veronica she while she was in architecture school she lived on that side of town okay uh she did some studies for her architectural program in the neighborhood walking door to door meeting people knocking on doors and stuff so 
So it's really meant a lot to us to not only live there, but um, to, but to also work with the East End Management District and kind of having some influence on on stuff that's happening. I don't I don't have to go. So my office is located downtown, okay. and I have to probably go through downtown and come out through the East End to get to where I need to go. Mm-hmm. And and while I don't stop there a lot, what I do notice is the very rich history um, and just what you feel when you go through a community that's still so. Uh, rooted, right, right. is just a, a, a sense of strength and a sense sure. of it's just cool to be back there. I don't know. I, I mean, I, again, I don't live there, so I don't know every day, but when I go visit Champ Burger and I go grab right. a burger, right, right. And I'm, right. I'm right. headed out of town, right. he's been there. We had him on the show earlier oh, cool, this man. season as well, Chris, <laughs> and um, he speaks of the influx, right, mm-hmm. of folks that are coming in, how he's changing his menu to accommodate some of that. Sure. And, it's just super cool. I don't know, man. I just it's very it's very perceptive of, of you to, to pick up on that because I think that is the, the the roots, like the words you just used. That's that's the roots are there and they you feel it. You yeah. kinda feel it in your bones when you're walking around, you know. It's um it, it's interesting because a lot of people don't know that the ship channel is right there. Yeah. <laughs> like you go down Navigation Boulevard, you keep heading down maybe just a few miles, all of a sudden there's big old ships right there yeah. in your face and, and, and an industry that really drives houston in a lot of ways that that we didn't realize are that close to us go ahead i'm sorry not to mention our favorite um popsicle factory local popsicle <laughs> factory is right there as well so we like taking the drive down there and then there's a a part of navigation that's lined with really great trees mm-hmm. and it's just a great drive sometimes when we need a little bit of a break and we don't have a lot of time we just head that way and, uh, I think make the loop. maybe maybe what it is that I didn't I didn't communicate clearly was I think when I'm driving through it's it's probably a lack of new architecture mm-hmm. in the area mm-hmm. yeah. that gives me the feeling of right. being rooted in a community a if that makes point. sense yeah, right yeah, like the guy that makes the mattresses who will make a mattress any way you want right. he's in that giant building yes. on the east end yeah. it's just cool I don't know it's just and when I see him on TV and I don't even know his name but when I see him on TV he speaks with a confidence mm-hmm. and a no mincing word kind of right. he's old school I love right. that kind right. of feeling you know what I mean because it's black and white you know where you yeah. stand with the guy yeah. all yeah. the time <laughs> and that's what I like and that's what I liked about the community too right. you know if you I needed know. help somebody probably would offer you would very offer cool. to help you very cool but so, so much of houston and and now the expanding areas outside of houston is just bulldoze build new bulldoze build new right. bulldoze build yeah. new. there's not too many communities that have an establishment that's been yeah. there like champ burger for yeah. that long i don't even know? get that feeling from the heights i mean right. the heights is cool i, I love the heights right. but i don't get that feeling from the heights because it's just so overgrown and overpopulated with new architecture and fancy cars and right. you go on the east end it's just well, there's not. a there's definitely true. a humble hard work that's it humble yeah that, yeah yeah that, 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 that bleeds out of that place and then you can feel it for sure um a lot of industry is on that side of town you you a lot of people without realizing it have an uncle or a cousin or somebody that works over on that side of town Mm -hmm. or or did at one point and and it just it drives houston and it's uh it's amazing you know spending time in new york and a lot of places london new york goes in california just for a little bit as well you realize how much Houston actually affects the rest of the world. Yeah. You realize how many decisions are made in Houston that affect the world. When you live here and you get to see the brass tacks, basically. Sure, sure. And you, you see these companies and the, these industries and these big, these big, these little, these little tiny shops that actually make parts to something much bigger mm-hmm. that, that's somewhere that, that affects us all. Yeah. And it's, it's really a big part of that. The neighborhood I grew up in was called Pine View Place on Harrisburg and 75th and uh, 
There's basically one way in, one way out. The bayou runs along the backside of it. Mason Park is right there, which is a beautiful park. They just built a brand new bridge. Um, it's a big park. It's really nice. Had our birthday parties there when we mm. were little kids. Um, but just something about that neighborhood with that park at that intersection. You go into that neighborhood now, and there's still people that have been, you know, the kids are living there now when their grandparents <laughs> yeah. were the first ones to live there. Sure. And that feeling is really good. And you, you can't just go in there and buy any house. Hmm. You know, the houses are, for, there's a few in there for sale now, um, uh, but it's rare. Yeah, I'm sure. Because the family roots are there for sure. sure. The avenues are the same way. Avenue I, Avenue J, is it Avenue, yeah, all the avenues are diagonal there. <laughs> and when you go through there, you see street names that are very old you know and if you drive up Harrisburg a little closer to the avenues and closer to where I grew up there's maybe two blocks that looks like once upon a time it was going to be the downtown (laughs) it really it it looks like it could be a downtown anywhere Hmm. and a few of those buildings have been picked up by a few folks um, but nothing that's washing them out nothing that's nothing that's not from the neighborhood probably or, or original to it there's a uh, some talk about some growth and somebody building an old style plaza so that it can be a destination place for families. I really hope that that works out. Very cool. Um, we, there's a little place down there too, uh, in the area anyway, off of Lawndale that's called Treats of Mexico. <laughs> it's a tiny little, uh, <laughs> tiny little ice cream shop, husband and wife team. Their daughter is hilarious. She, uh, she works with them sometimes too. Super nice people. But the feeling I get from those kind of people is the feeling I get from that old part of the neighborhood and the good part of the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, the good part. So, again, we're super excited to be building off of Harrisburg and um, look forward to really kind of, you know, contributing something to that new generation, the new wave of of us that that want to live there. So, well, I was just going to say, speaking of generational or or roots and so forth, your family has a little bit in in the restaurant industry, correct? correct. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Not at all, not at all. I I, I say this often, you know, my my grandfather, I was the first grandson, first grandchild, um, and so I was treated like a little prince the anointed you were the anointed (laughs) one so i can remember my grandfather you know carrying me to the restaurant setting me on the on the bar right there i'd sit there he had the lance candy glass jars behind the counter (laughs) he'd open the glass jar i can hear the jar you know making the noise he'd pull out the piece of candy give it to me and while he's sweeping up the floor he would tell me about the restaurant and Mm -hmm. tell me about people and growing up he used to say you know i'm i'm the luckiest man in the world because I work with my family every day, and when I turn these lights on, all my friends come to visit me. Ah, that's cool. And so that was something that really, it sticks with us today. It paints a picture right it away, does, right? It does. And uh, there was a pool table. I'm, I'm going to date myself in my age here. Mm. There was a pool table in the place, and it took dimes. Um, <laughs> it used to take, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was like two dimes, and then it moved up to five dimes, and then then later on it took quarters. <laughs> but, uh, but so I can remember wanting to play the pool table. I used to have to stand on a, on a Coke, Coca-Cola crate yeah. to, to reach it. And I asked for dimes, and he said, well, I can't just give you dimes. You have to earn them. So my grandmother used to sew clothes for all of her kids. Mm-hmm. And so my grandmother sewed an apron for me. Uh, my grandfather took a broom and cut the stick, cut the handle in half. Make it your size. So Make it my size. Yeah. So here you go. Sweep up. And for every bottle cap you sweep up off the floor, I'll give you a, a nickel. Yeah. And then when I'd bring them all the bottle caps and I'd have a few dimes to play the pool table. That's and cool. And that's how I earned it. Um, and so I, I grew up uh, with that. It was called AC Science Tamales. 
Um, and then later on, it was AC Signs, Tamales, and Barbecue. Uh, it was a husband and wife, grandma and grandpa, uh, ice cold beer, hot tamales, yeah. some chili con carne on top. And then he moved into the building directly across the street on Sandy Point Road. And uh, there he had a really big brick pit with cast iron lids, yeah. cast iron doors. And, uh, and uh, you know, now when I smell brisket, I'm not, in my mind, I'm not smelling brisket. I'm smelling my grandfather's place. I'm smelling, sure. it, it, that's what clicks. In it's my, that emotional right, connection right, you that, have. Yeah. connection. And so uh, even now, I'll walk into Henderson and Kane, open the door, and I smell that smokiness. And I'm like, <laughs> We're doing it right. You know yeah. what I mean? I feel like we're doing it right. Yeah. Even the walk-in cooler, for that matter. You walk in the walk-in cooler, and it's got this certain smell to it that you're like, <laughs> I remember that smell from, from the from the. You're place. looking for bottle caps again. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. I want to play pool. <laughs> we used to, it was called AC Signs, but we the whole family used to call it The Place. So I'm going to The Place, or I'll go to The Place and go get some yeah. stuff or whatever. And so when I, I, I think about that a lot, it's really great. So it's from great. an early age, you were almost... Um, you were tapped, really, from an early age. Yeah. Um, not only just the restaurant business, but how you could become a family in the restaurant business. And not your own. All my friends come to visit That's me right. right when I turn these lights on. So it's a really beautiful picture that your, yeah. your grandfather painted you that made you want to be a part of that process. Sure. Right? sure. Which is super cool. And, and, you know, at that age, I didn't know that. At that age, of course listen, not. You know, at yeah. that age, you listen to what they say, and you grow up, and then you become a teenager, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, maybe you, you know, I'm not even thinking about ever working in restaurants. And and uh, I had an uncle Tony, uh, my mom's brother, uh, and uh, uncle Tony had me when I was about 12, 14 years old, had me working in his restaurant called El Toro. Uh, he had a ranch uh, out in Palestine or Buffalo, Texas, and the uh, El Toro was in Palestine. I want to say probably around 1986-ish or so, I started working summer times over there and really getting uh, my hands dirty. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can remember washing dishes and then thinking to myself, okay, you got to get in here and do the, you know, you got to get into it. You yeah. can't just be like delicate about it and think, oh, this <clears> is washing dishes. You got to get in there and do the work. Um, so I'd work there during the daytime and then I'd go tend to the fence on the ranch, you know, in the evening. Yeah. Uh, and he... He worked me hard, man, and he let me know, like, you know, you work hard, but this is what you can get for yourself. Uh, spend some summers with him. Uh, watch that brand grow. I mean, El Toro ended up growing into a much bigger thing. Our cousins now uh, have a, a huge brand, and, and it's a big part of Houston now. Very cool. Um, but those things were, were important to me later on in life, and I didn't know that. Um, I did some accounting work. I wanted to, to have a different kind of job. So for 10, 12 years or so, I was doing accounting work at really? different places in, in the city. Um, and then one day I sold everything I had, moved to Austin, Texas. I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> I just thought I'm going to move to Austin. I bumped into a farmer's market, uh, just went downtown to go check it out. Saw a farmer's market off of 3rd Street. And uh, I told myself, man, I want to get involved with that farmer's market. I don't know how. But I want to get involved. Yeah. Uh, about a week or two later, I happened to see an ad for a chef that was looking for an assistant. And uh, I called her up, and she welcomed me into her kitchen. Uh, Melissa Brinkman is her name. Uh, she owns the Cake and Spoon Baking Company in Austin. Super great lady. Super great chef. There were probably more than a couple of times that she could have just got kicked me out of that kitchen and sent me on my way. <laughs> but um, she, she gave me every opportunity. I learned a lot from her. Um, and that's where I met uh, Aaron and Stacy Franklin and John Lewis. Um, 
we realized that there was a lot of connection there and um and i started working with them of course we were in the trailer at the time yeah uh, just starting and i can remember i'll tell you guys i can remember the day that we were like there's 15 people in line dude like, <laughs> holy cow you know I mean? like, this is awesome like yeah. you know this is great and then uh shortly after that uh aaron got his hands on that uh the building yeah uh we spent some nights there painting it uh fixing up walls yeah. uh, aaron is a very industrious guy and did a lot of that work himself a hard-working guy go-getter for sure and um it was a good lesson too on on bringing back like because aaron didn't uh reinvent the wheel right aaron shined up that old ass wheel and real and made us all realize like this is the purity of it all right like yeah. before that the barbecue scene was more set it and forget it yeah i think that was like the kind of the thing like don't worry about watching it all set it and forget it <clears throat> come back to it and you'll be just fine and aaron said no let's get a stick burner let's do it for you know uh, let's make it a 24-hour process and uh Let's be pure with it. Let's be simple. And as you know, it brought everything back to life. Uh, the, the barbecue scene today would not be the same. If it so, wasn't for so if I'm reading between the lines, this is where you learned how to do barbecue. Uh, it was a really good reminder. I, you know, I remember the brick pits from my grandfather's place and always spending time with mm-hmm. him and, and watching them do. They were real, well known for their briskets and for their brisket okay. tamales. Yeah. And so I, I knew all this stuff already. Uh, John Lewis. I, I don't think John Lewis gets enough uh, recognition. He's in the Carolinas now. Okay. But I'll tell you right now, John Lewis was a killer. <laughs> and John Lewis taught me a lot about about all of that stuff. Um, and so between him and Aaron, it was a good, really good chance to remember, remind myself of what the pure part of barbecue was. Yeah. And, and how smoke was, you know, the most important thing about it. Right? What's interesting is that you left Houston, went to Austin, and then boom, you're in a different industry. Let's talk more about that. We're going to take a quick break. Sure. And we'll jump back into you, Austin, Aaron Franklin, and then, of course, how you met your wife and, awesome. and got together. So stay tuned for a message from our sponsors, Bernie Brand, Duke's Premium Eats, and Zero Point Organics. We'll be right back. The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Criswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today. Bernie Brand Texas-style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent Texas. Go to BernieBrand.com to find a retailer near you. That's Bernie, B-O-E-R-N-E, Brand.com. Zero Point Organics grows and supplies microgreens for over 30 major restaurants in the Houston area. Consistently perfect quality in flavor and appearance, their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero, Z-E-R-O-pointorganics.com. Duke's Premium Meats Home Delivery is committed to providing you with the best quality meat delivered right to your door. Offering certified Angus beef, grass-fed beef, Wagyu, and many more premium options, nobody beats Duke's Meats. Make sure to check out all that Duke has to offer at dukespremiummeats.com. Welcome back to the Cost of Goods Told podcast. Uh, John, I think where we left off, you were talking about your stint in Austin and, and, and kind of getting your feet wet culinarily again, you know, after culinarily. After culinarily? Oh, Is that a word? I'm making it up. I don't care. I'm making <laughs> words all the time on this podcast. <laughs> I, maybe I don't know. I'm just saying, man, culinarily. So that's why I do this verbal podcast. And I don't write nothing. Ordinarily, I don't hear culinarily. culinarily. So I don't know. It's a word now. <laughs> it's on Wikipedia. Um, so what was, what was after all that? So, you know, you did 
um, Austin, and then how long were you in Austin for? So I was in Austin for three years. Okay. Uh, for three years, and uh, I was in Melissa's Kitchen for about that long. Uh, again, that was a really good... And while I was at Franklin, I was still in Melissa's Kitchen. Okay, so you did working, both. Right. I was you working both. seven days a week, and, <laughs> and, and she just really taught me a lot, and really, uh, I loved it. I mean, you know, uh, I remember the first time I was in the kitchen with her alone, and she would sit and talk to her food and talk to herself and I thought man what's going on (laughs) but then you realize how important it is and how much you know how much you love what you're doing when when you when someone like that is teaching you Uh, so it was pastry um, and and uh, between the smoke and the hardwood and 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 the dirtiness and then going into pastry where it's very delicate and Mm -hmm. very clean and very you know uh, thought out it was a really good balance for me in in education in, in culinary mm-hmm. um, uh, and I'm not sure if you know this but actually Melissa is the person that does all of the desserts for Franklin barbecue so when you go to Franklin barbecue uh, those little mini pies those little tarts and stuff those are all Melissa's which when are you available now to go to Franklin barbecue we're gonna load you up in the car if anybody's gonna get if anybody's gonna get to cut the line <laughs> it's gonna be John I, I love it and I love going uh, back to Austin and, and uh, Melissa is still at all the farmers markets that's what she loves doing uh, she does a lot of private uh, uh, events as well uh, because once you have her product and you and you fall in love with it and, yeah. and you know how unique it is and it's very uh, rustic handmade uh, it, it's it's nothing fancy schmancy I would say it's just fancy <laughs> and so uh, it's really good stuff and and I love her a lot she's she means a lot to me and, and she's definitely one of the people that um that when I accomplish things and when I do things I, I hope that she sees it and has takes a little bit of ownership because she I wouldn't be here I think if it wasn't for her help along the way too uh, yeah, so let me, a lot of stuff let me ask you a question John so so you were doing accounting for 10 to 12 years you were unhappy you you hated it whatever it was it wasn't your calling <clears throat> what in the hell made you want to go from basically a five day a week job move cities work seven days a week two different jobs what drove you away from um, I'll call it <laughs> I'll call it the the the, the cube farm Right, uh-huh. we're sitting in cubicles, and uh-huh. you. What drove you away from that? Was it was it your family's heritage in the business? Was it that connection? I couldn't to- tell you, man. I, I really can't. And I, I thought about this a lot. And um, you know, I think, well, you know, it, it was a time in my life where I was, you know, I'd been in, uh, I'd been in a relationship for a long time, for ten years, about ten years, and I had just become single. And so I looked at it as an opportunity of kind of figuring things out for myself. Okay. Um, And so I had a great job. Uh, I spent some time with the Houston Symphony, the Houston Grand Opera, uh, doing accounting work for them seasonally. Um, Loved that. Loved everything about it. Thought it was great being there. Um, And then I ended up at a a place over uh, Stuart Stevenson uh, over Mm -hmm. on the north side uh, doing some work for them. And I had a little office, and I had my inbox. Yep. I had my outbox with yep. my computer in the middle. My desk was perfectly clean. Your khakis, your button down. <laughs> your everything was perfect. My job was great. Loved it. But something happened. I don't. I don't know what it was. Yeah. But it just was an opportunity that I could move to Austin. <laughs> and um, maybe, maybe you know, if I think about it, maybe I wanted to move to Austin when I was younger. <laughs> I didn't end up doing it because I wanted to. You know, I did the work that I did, um, and. Uh, moved would I, that I, I would, don't know why. is that a prescription though that you would 
would you would give to someone else? Would you, if you're sitting down and you you see this person, you know him. This is your friend. Mm-hmm. He's sitting in his khakis and his tie, and he's bouncing around doing freelance accounting. Uh-huh. And his life is set, and he's comfortable. Are you like? that let's go to austin (laughs) and work at the farmer's market and then you can have two jobs in seven days a week (laughs) would you tell i mean think about that would you say that out loud to someone else no (laughs) i I don't think so you know and i think you know i think even my 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 parents my family were like what are you doing (laughs) like you're you know you're going to uh making less a lot less money yeah um you're you know you're you're working a a job that's nothing like what you were working Uh, but i'll tell you i can remember uh it was on a saturday at the farmer's market and I can remember being tired, being really exhausted. And the farmer's market had just ended. And there was a small little hill in the park uh, where the farmer's market was. And I remember sitting on that hill, sitting in the sun, and thinking to myself, I'm really happy. Mm-hmm. And I was dirty. I was sweaty. You know, I, I, I was tired. Uh, I was so tired that I, I didn't have the energy to just go get up and go home yet. I needed to take a break. Yeah. But I can remember sitting there thinking, I'm happy. And this is what I want to do with myself. And um, I think that's probably the first time I felt that way. Um, you know, the other jobs that I had had were more like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. This is what I think I'm supposed to do. Um, and it was a risk. You know, I, I had a, a daughter who was just a few years old. And, um, and so it was, a, it was a big risk for sure. And I, I don't think I would recommend it to anybody. I, I think... Um, what I would recommend, though, is that if you're feeling a certain way and, and, and you're being pulled to do something that, that means a lot to you, you know, you're, we live in a country where you can take those chances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a lot of places in the world, you can't. Yeah. In a lot of places in the world, there's not these opportunities. And in a lot of places, there's, you know, if you don't make it, then that's it. Yeah. And so we live in a country where you can make yourself. Uh, you can break yourself as well. But of course. You can, yeah, yeah. Really, you can really make yourself to be what what you're willing to work hard to be. Yeah, because the opportunity, there's no guarantee of success with an opportunity. You're only guaranteed the opportunity. That's right. Mm -hmm. Which, to your point, you're going to fail or you're going to succeed or you might do both, right? right? But it's an opportunity to do something different, to pursue your passion or maybe you got a passion you don't know what it is yet. That's right. right. That's right. And and, and I think that getting over uh, the idea of failure as being the end of it all um, that's just not necessarily true. It's just the you beginning. Know, right? Failures are, are learning, you know, uh, opportunities to learn, <clears> to learn <throat> about yourself and improve yourself. And even if you're miserable because you failed at something, at some point you might realize that I'm still alive Yeah. and the world didn't end. And so let's do it again or let's do something else. You know, I, I equate this to my daughter who's 16 mm-hmm. who doesn't deal with failure very, very well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of adults deal the same way with failure as a 16-year-old does because if you don't do if you don't fail often, mm-hmm. then you don't know how to react to failure, sure. right? So when she fails, I'm like, look, this is a great opportunity to think about it, improve upon it, and then try it again. Sure. She didn't get that. Adults don't get it either because they live in a safe spot. That's right, right? a little box, right? That's right. And the restaurant industry is not a safe industry to no, be in. Right. It's that's you right. know if you watch anything on. On YouTube TV right now about restaurants, it's one of the riskiest businesses mm-hmm. you can be in. Mm-hmm. I would happen to agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you guys probably <laughs> would yeah, too, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I think, it, but I think our lives, both of our lives, have really been, um, uh, have been that. Uh, Veronica doesn't come from a family where there were other architects, and she doesn't come from a family where there's people in Houston necessarily. Her father was here, um, but to take that leap to come here to go to university to become an architect, 
um, to decide that that's what she wanted to do with her life and to move here and to, you know, live on her own like that. It, it was a big risk for her, I'm sure. And um, it's interesting because what she knows and what she understands about architecture has really been a big influence on what we do as a restaurant. Huh. It um, Maybe it's the artistic side, honey. I, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but, but just something about it. And maybe it's also the value of the experience for the customer. Understanding that maybe I knew that and maybe I understood it a little bit, but I didn't know how to express it. Mm-hmm. And Veronica has given me a really good education in understanding that, uh, you well, know. Which is funny because on the flip side, never having worked in a restaurant, never really having having any kind of exposure to a restaurant. I mean, I worked in college. I worked at Nimpas for two months, and I was terrible. <laughs> I did not know how to help anyone. Um, but uh, I remember the first time working the register at El Puro because I would go, I would work at Gensler. I'd get off about 530, which was the earliest I ever got off. At so when y'all opened up El Burro and the Bull, you were still working at Gensler? Yes. yes. Okay. Oh, well. yeah. They used to make fun of me that I was superwoman because I would literally change in the bathroom before I walked <laughs> over to go work an eight hour shift to close at midnight. So Gensler was downtown also? Yeah. Okay. Just okay. five blocks from the restaurant. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. That's right. So I'd change in the bathroom, I'd go run over, and I'd work the, the register. But for me, that was the first time I felt a sense of pride in what I was serving and, uh, and a real connection to the food, even though I wasn't making any of it. Right. Um, which is something I like but to share But you're connected about. to it. But you're but connected to it. I was very connected it. to it. Right. And I was very proud of what John had put together. And it kind of gave me an ability to, to make sure that the customer or whoever I was serving was happy and satisfied with what they were eating right. and had a real honest interest in, in what, I don't know, their happiness. And John, do you, John, do you, did, when you were creating menus and create and talking about what you wanted to do, did you tap into Veronica's also family history and what oh, they absolutely. ate? And so. I mean, absolutely. You know, Texas is regional. We call it uh, Texas regional cuisine. Smoke Texana is what we call it. Texas regional cuisine. Because we, having traveled, uh, Veronica spent time in France and, and, and a lot of places in Europe and in this country as well, obviously in China, um, Russia, Russia as well. Veronica spent time in doing which uh, is doing very good, there. but has great Texas barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> they probably do I mean, now. vodka, they I mean, vodka, <laughs> but um, but so, um, you know, we we look at Texas as like it's a country of its own, there's no place in America that's quite like Texas. So when you go mm-hmm. to the uh, eastern border, the accents are different, the food is different, uh, the homes are built different. When you go to El Paso, accent is different, <laughs> the food is different, the construction is different. When you're, I mean, it, you, you know what I'm saying. It, yeah. you, go, you go to Lubbock, you go to Dallas, it's different than it is down here. The humidity down here, the climate is different, uh, the beach. Uh, I mean, you literally, Beaumont, you, you, the, the accent is so deep there. Right. Yeah. When you go to El Paso, I was blown away <laughs> at the number of people that weren't Hispanic but spoke Spanish, like it, it, and 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 I don't think or they really the accent. Right, right. Like like the <laughs> accent. Like uh, you know, even in Houston they call Sam Philippi, but in El Paso it doesn't matter <coughs> what race or culture you are, you say San Felipe. Okay. Right. Like yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is there. And mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, wow, this is great. Which just explains why I got so many weird looks when I was looking for directions. Oh yeah. <laughs> so w- when you're describing like San Felipe, which is what I say, you're saying you say San Felipe. Sa- San Felipe. Oh. Or, but, or but, San Jacinto. 
Uh, <laughs> some people just say San, San Jack, San Jacinto. Oh, yeah. Or, right, right. Yeah. Or San Filippi. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And so, but but in El Paso, um, there seems to be a real grasp of the region. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, yeah. And, and appreciation for even the border and, and the opportunities that are there to have fun or to do business or whatever it might be. Sure. Um, and so we see the food as being different. And so my introduction, let's say, to Chile, Colorado, which Colorado in Spanish means the color red. Um, and so it's a deep red uh, chili, which is the influence of Texas red. Um, that's a pure thing there. And so that's a part of what you guys saw tonight with some of that pork belly with a little bit of a red tinge to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're also going to be doing a chili Colorado tamale, or tamale, excuse me. Um, <laughs> oh, you uh, said it right for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gringos were like, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> that sounds uh, delicious. There's a little white in him, after all. And I think for a, a competition not long ago, we did the Chili Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been an influence, uh, an influence on um, uh, eating bread with our pozole versus the tostada uh, is another thing, too, mm-hmm. that they do there. Because um, well, it's Sonoran. A lot Sonoran. of people, I think, don't know that. It's the difference between eating flour tortillas and corn tortillas. Right. Corn okay. tortillas are more, you know, southern. I, I won't say southern Mexico, but like central okay. Mexico, where uh, northern Mexico eats more flour. Right. Okay. Right. And so that's, uh, I mean, these are all things that I've, I've learned um, and learned more about uh, being with Veronica and, and her being a big part of all these things. Very cool. Um, uh, when, we, when we say El Burro and the Bull, it's half English and half Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how the food is that we're making. Um, we strongly do believe that um, that Texas cuisine is based on Mexican and German uh, cuisines. And Central Texas, again, is a very uh, a prime example of that, having places like San Antonio and San Marcos right next to Green and New Braunfels, which was called New Berlin at one time, right? Yeah. Um, Harrisburg City was a German... Uh, German folks and and Houston at one point was a German colony, uh, but we also have some of the best Tex-Mex around. So to to ignore those things, I think is it doesn't do either side justice. And um, to embrace those things, I think is super important. And uh, Veronica's taught me a lot about uh, the, the the cuisine that's down there. And that, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. We sell boudin. We carry a great boudin. Really? Which is the smoked boudin. On my way. On my way. On my way. The smoked boudin is very Eastern. Yeah. Um, the chili Colorado and the pozole is very Western. Love that. Um, you know, we think of the uh, the stockyards and stuff up in Dallas when we think about the steaks that we sell and, mm-hmm. and that we carry. Um, Still certified Angus beef? Yeah. We or prime? A, or uh, we use a 44 Farms uh, prime product. Okay. We buy primals and then we hand cut the steaks ourselves. Okay, nice. Um, and uh, we do a steak night, actually. It was really good, and we'll, we're looking forward to bringing that back again. At cool. El Burro. <laughs> um, get, to get back to kind of what Veronica has been an influence on, I think even when you walk into our other brand, Henderson & Kane, um, you feel a certain age to it that really mm-hmm. wasn't there, even though it's been a store since 1937. Uh, she had a big part of kind of making it, returning it back to what yeah, it was it's, that we might not have had. It's before. a warm, comfy. I don't know what it is. It's very welcoming when you walk in, and maybe it's a, maybe it's the mismatched chairs. Maybe it's you know maybe it's the little the little tables, almost almost like bistro tables. Um, it's you know the line wall of coolers and then the meat case and then but also I think it's the employees that work there mm. that reach out who are either behind the counter will reach out with their voice or reach out with a smile and be mm. like hey how's it going welcome you know welcome what's going on and that's so, cool man I'm we glad appreciate to hear you that. say that because yeah. I those are all the reasons why I'm in love with that place yeah, it's a great location I think you know <clears throat> we could we could probably talk about this all day but what I 
what I want you guys to touch on, I think it's very important. Henderson and Kane, you got to go. What's the address to Henderson and Kane? 715 Henderson Street. Go in, grab a beer. I mean, it's a weekly joint. It's a neighborhood joint. It's super cozy and, and super cool. But uh, Elbow on the Bull, you were just in Bravery Hall, right? You've been in Bravery Hall uh, for how long? No, I'm sorry, Conservatory. Conservatory. Uh, Elbow on the Bull was located for how long? How long, y'all? Four years. Four years. Four years. But no more. Correct. We got the new building, brick and mortar. It's huge. Versus our versus compared to our compared to our 150 square feet that we had in the conservatory, uh, we're very proud of what we did at the conservatory. We really grabbed that, excuse the pun, but we grabbed that bull by the horns and we really, we really made it our own. Yeah, good job. We really made it our own, and um, you were one of the the originals, first one, one of the originals, and one, I think the last original. That's right. Correct. That's yeah. right. We were the, the oh, longest. Okay. We we did really good in sales and really we're proud of what we were doing. And you know, more people live in downtown Houston than ever before. Yeah. And so we were trying to provide a place for people to go that they weren't breaking the bank where they but offering also a broad menu and a lot of choices so that you could come in on Monday night for steak night. You can come in on Wednesday night for tacos. You can come in on Friday night for barbecue. Cool. And 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 uh, we had a lot of that. We had a lot of guys that worked in downtown that would see us at lunch. They'd come back in the evening time with their buddies or with their wives <laughs> good and sign. have dinner. And um, it was really good to us, man. We we really really liked it there. Um, and uh, we just were ready to spread our wings, like we said. And this building literally just fell in our lap. So was that the very first location, very first restaurant you had? It was. Yeah. So four years, man. That's a lifetime in the restaurant business. Uh-huh. I mean, literally, you know. <laughs> so that it makes sense that you're ready to spread your wings. You're ready to get outside of walking down two flights of stairs, right? Back of the restaurant, you know, kind of right. dark, well, limited. And after doing all these dishes that we did at all these various events, you know, a lot of barbecue festivals and things like that. You know, we were very limited in how much we could add to the menu there. So yeah. we knew there wasn't much growth to be had mm-hmm. um, yeah. in terms of the menu. And sure. so we could have a special every now and then, but that was just about it. And so this was a good opportunity for us to find a venue for those dishes that we hope to kind of put out in the world. And we, we take a lot of pride, I think, in, uh, in, in pushing the barbecue scene to, to, to uh, love the smoke. Yeah. part of it not just the brisket not just the the sausage or the turkey but but the smoke is primal as the smoke is and how deep it runs and all of our genes you know what i mean and how much it means to us when we crave it i think um i think we take a lot of pride in, in offering smoked dishes uh like like we brought today yeah, yeah. um <laughs> because there's no doubt in my mind uh that it you know it, it's barbecue in one way or another because it did come off of our smoker and um, the sauces that we made were with uh, smoked elements as well, and it, it means a lot to us. It, it, it takes a special hand to, to be able to match that. People may think like, oh, you know, like I'll do a sauce or something and add liquid smoke or something to it to have that smoky mm-hmm. flavor. But to be able to take the dishes and pair them so well, especially like with like the pumpkin that you did, to be able to bring that smoke element into that and then, you know, that, that super savory side of things, mm-hmm. it, it balanced out really well, especially with Thank that crema that you did. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like that, that takes a special, um, a special mind to think outside the box that far you know it's probably a nod to your background too uh the different varieties of uh, foods you've touched along the way your heritage so to speak and veronica's as well Uh, but and i would say while the dishes you brought to us today were awesome thank you so much for doing that and they all had a smoked element everything we've had at the barbecue festivals Mm -hmm. is also a nod to your creativity because if you weren't doing a very good job they wouldn't invite you back Mm. right Mm. or you wouldn't be involved in the process so i i've seen since the first couple that you're 
the level of food has elevated over and over and over again, but very sophisticated. I mean, there's some pictures that I took of food, you know, that were beautiful, but also delicious. And not a lot of people can say that. It can be it can be delicious and look like a sloppy Joe. I'm cool with that, <laughs> you know, because I'm part redneck. Right. But at some point, Joe. you want it to be elevated, and you and you're like, should I eat it or should I not eat it? Mm. Y- y'all's food has always been a very good representation of elevated fusion with a smoke element. Thank you, man. Thank you, Veronica yeah. and her brother Jesse, who is uh, one of our chefs, uh, are a big part of that. Uh, a huge driving force behind the the things that we do, and and. Uh, it wouldn't be the same without them, that's for sure. That's cool. Opening up your own spot, I think from from the early parts of the conversation, I think it's very interesting that you had at a very young age people who were working tirelessly and really cared. You know, someone who says, I get to work with my family and I, and I have my friends, you know, come in. Um, obviously cares a lot about the product. And then you go over to Austin and you have two individuals that hmm. obviously mm-hmm. you know give a damn mm-hmm. about what they're serving and work tirelessly as well sure. translating that over to opening up your own spot and then trying to get a workforce behind that what you know i mean because you know everybody oh she's superwoman you know and mm-hmm. it's like yeah no shit you know you have to be if you're going yeah. to if you're going to survive this and i'm glad we have both of y'all on because a lot of this does take two people even if the yeah. other individual is not involved right. in the business they're still involved sure. because they've got to handle things that this other individual or even support this other individual right. and i mean That's shout right. out to my wife who you know supported me when i had my food truck for three and a half years where it was like you know, bye, you know, and it's right, like, you right. know, you got to put you up with week. that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> all, you know, it's like, you know, I get the benefit of having the business, da, da, da. They don't get that that side of it, you know. It's like they just they just have an absentee, you know, partner. Um, so it's great to, to have both of y'all on so that, one, you can get the respect, too, and you can get, you know, the recognition, uh, hopefully on this podcast at least, you know, to, to show what El Burro and the Bull has been able to become and what y'all are going to become. Um, but again, sorry, that's a long tangent. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> but coming full circle to to have your own thing, obviously you care. But to translate that over to your employees, because when we went in there to do the the photos the one time, the staff couldn't have been more welcoming yeah, and cool. awesome, impromptu. And, on top of that, yeah, right? exactly. Um, what? No, that was Tay. Oh, yeah, was yeah. Well, we have some pretty incredible employees, yeah. and I think I mean I don't want to toot our own horn, but I do think that. What I've noticed is that the the respect that we give to the food and what we're creating definitely carries on to them. Sure. And and they know when we care about something, they're going to care about it. Mm-hmm. And we're very much involved in everything that happens there, even though we may not have the ability to be in two or three different <laughs> places yeah. at one time. Right. And the employees, I think we've we've been blessed in a lot of ways in that they're they're just great people before they even make it to us. You know, <laughs> we've had a few youngsters who who are growing up in our business. And so that's nice to have that influence, you know, and teaching them these things. But we have uh, a few people like Jacob and Lalo and, uh, I mean, I could go down the list, but basically we have these employees that have been with us for four years since we started, three years, which is hard in the industry to to, to claim. Um, But they take a lot of pride in what they do. And, And I think something that we try to teach the employees is that, especially in barbecue, if you're on a board cutting, I try to tell them, look, man, 
you're on a stage right now and you're performing on this stage because when people order food, they don't just walk away. They're sitting there watching you and you're performing on this stage for them. So how do you want to perform? You know, how do you want people to see you? And it clicks, it clicks for them. And they're like, oh yeah, it's right. So my station is going to be clean. And so my knife skills I'm showing these people are going to be good and I'm going to care about it. And I want this plate to, to look like something I'm going to eat every single time. And uh, and it's great, man. I, I I just I don't I you know I don't know if we can take credit for all of it. Because yeah, but just great but, human uh, but you know, I mean, I, look, I, I'll be the first one to call it out because that's how I am. <laughs> <clears throat> great employees are great employees when they show up, mm-hmm. but retaining great employees mm-hmm. starts from the ownership, the the, mm-hmm. the management, the leadership style. And I can promise you, the way you two walked in here and treated us like family from the beginning. If you treat your employees like that, even remotely close, which I'm guessing you probably do, <laughs> why would they want to go work anywhere else? Sure, um, sure. Because you I mean, you brought a level of food in here that you didn't have to. We didn't talk about it. We didn't ask That's you right. to do it. Yeah. You just did it. <laughs> so if you're doing that for us um, the first time we meet, uh, I can only I can only imagine what you're doing for your employees. And, and to you don't want to toot your own horn, so I'll toot it for you. <laughs> you don't keep employees for four years and then beam – she literally lit up when you started naming off names no. because you know how great they are. Yeah. Well, that comes from, um, and I, we can get sidetracked and I don't want to, but but that comes right. from an understanding voice, um, a vested voice, voices that care mm. and employ and want people to come back tomorrow. So I'll toot it for you. You're probably doing a hell of a job. <laughs> Thanks, so man. whatever you're doing, keep it up. Um, and you don't have to say that you're doing it, but my guess is you are. Well, listen, you know, we, we I, I, I think of things in, always in two different perspectives and and one perspective was always going to be that I want to be a good human being we want to be good people we want to be known as good people we want to treat people good and I want to feel good about what I'm doing then the other perspective is I want to be a good businessman I want to be a successful businessman and I want to you know make a living for myself sure and so if I think to myself we want to be good people we need to treat all these people with respect that's a winner if you're a if you want to be a good businessman why would you want to leave your business in the hands of people that aren't happy and aren't satisfied? Good point. And don't have an interest in your business because, you know, I, I've seen I've seen it before where the minute the ownership walks out of the door, it's kind of like a free for all. Yeah. And and people are just doing it, waiting until the next time the ownership shows up, and then they'll get back in line again, right? Because you can literally see from your spot in, in the conservatory, you know, from what was your spot, right? right. Four other businesses, right. like, and you could watch their employees. That you know, that's so like exactly you've got, right. you've got. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And 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 I want to have, I want to feel good. You know, there, there's a, there. When we have employees in the place, Veronica and I will think to ourselves, Hey, we we've got what we needed to get done. Our employees are in the place, and we know we can depend on them. We know we can trust them. Let's go watch a movie. Yeah. Let's go to go visit my mom and pop. Right. right. And so. The, the the freedom that we buy ourselves um, again you know I, I want to be a good businessman and, and it is a little self-serving uh, from that perspective is that I, I want a good business I want good employees because I know that my business is in good hands why would I not want that yeah. and I think sometimes uh, ownership doesn't think of that um, I have been on projects before in the past where you know I've, I've done a lot of consulting in a lot of different states and a lot of different cities and there have been some places where I've gone where they've said you know we've been in meetings and the owner might say well you know, let's hire 40 people, and then in six weeks, we'll get rid of 10 of them, mm-hmm. right? And I, all I could think to myself in that meeting was, 
why would you do that to people? You know, what if they were quitting their other jobs to come and work for you and then sure. you're about to put them out on the street? You're using them like pawns. You're using them with not respecting them. And and if that's the attitude, then how do you think your other employees are going to feel about it if yeah. they did stay? You yeah. know, they're going to be on edge. They're going to think that, well, I'm not important. So what makes you think that they're going to take care of your business, right? And that's sure. that's super important. That's really cool as a businessman, though, that you would take those experiences, right, and not forget them right. and not jump in and say, okay, I know how to play the game. Right. I'll protect myself, sure. but sure. apply that to your own business. Sure. Let's sure. talk about that with your new location. So, so for what's coming, right, it's going to be pretty quick. Um, you're hoping in mid-December. The new Elboro and the Bull. Correct. We think uh, we think in mid December is where is that at, located? Uh, Sorry, fifty four oh one Harrisburg Boulevard. Okay. Um, it's going to be a upstairs downstairs location. Uh, downstairs we're gonna we're gonna call Elboro, a little more casual with counter service. Very cool. Um, and then upstairs will be the Bull. Okay. Which will be uh, again still have the barbecue, but we'll have a few more refined dishes. Some of the dishes that you got today, um, and, and just a different expression okay. of the smoke. Uh, we want to offer as broad of an experience as possible, as broad of price points as we can offer because we want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, we want people to be able to come in and spend a $20 bill and have a great time. Or if you're doing an event or you feel like spending a $100 bill with us, then you can do that too, and we're going to provide you with something that you're really going to like. And, and the building is a historical building, right? It's got this really cool cathedral ceiling. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really something to see, right? Yeah, absolutely. So interesting or I guess research that I came across on the building is um, it has this beautiful uh, barrel vault wood structured ceiling that's made up of small members. So um, to be more elaborate, that that kind of structure really stems back to like the 1930s during the World War when, you know, there was limited access to steel, limited access to larger (laughs) Mm -hmm. spans of members or wood members, I should say. And so uh, this structure was designed by a German engineer um, and architect. He's, well, you want to say it? No, go ahead. <laughs> so, well, let me just say this. Let me say this. So we took pictures of the place, and then Veronica's phone starts blowing up with all of her architecture friends saying, oh, my gosh, that, that ceiling is incredible. By the way, that ceiling is called a... La- a lamella. Lamella, lamella roof. Lamella roof, which, by the way, comes from Germany which makes a lot of sense because the German colony is Houston. Um, and as we understand it, the gentleman that brought that from Germany is also responsible for the roof that was in the Astrodome. Really? Um, oh. And so we still need to make that solid connection, but it just m- seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, we believe this church shows up in the local HCAD as being a 1960s building. Okay. But when you walk in there and get into like the attic area, there's no way, way it's past. from the 60s. It's much, it's, it's much older than that. Uh, my father grew up in the neighborhood. Um, uh, of course, my grandparents bought their home in the 1930s, I believe, there. And uh, he grew up in the neighborhood, and he believes it may have been a church. Okay. And then there's a piece of furniture in there that looks like it came from a church. Like a pew or something? Yeah, <laughs> exactly what it is. Exactly what it How is. funny. <laughs> and then also in the research about this guy from Germany that was building these roofs, it's said that he came here to America and was building churches. Mm. Yeah. So it just all kind of connects, and yeah. we, we hope that we can find that hard research, but there's very limited data on the on the architect. <laughs> so the interior architecture is super cool. But that sounds like you'll, you'll be doing a lot of build-out. Uh, it, it's actually not. It, okay. It's, it, it's a great space. Um, it's got two fireplaces in it uh, that were old with the building. It's got old, great hardwood floors that just have a lot of... A lot of age to it. It's great, man. Um, and downstairs is a little more, uh, a little more just open space. 
uh, upstairs is really what got our attention. Okay. Uh, the gentleman that, that owns the building is a really great guy. Um, very, very excited about our brand. Um, uh, so much so that he's become an investor in the brand. And uh, very cool. if you gave him any of the stuff that you fed uh, us, I'm writing the check now, right you on, know. Right on. He, uh, super great guy, hardworking guy. Uh, and, and that's why we feel like, um, we, you know, we're trying to keep up with them really, yeah. to be honest with you. The building is going to open rather quickly. Uh, we hope to get back to that. We, we hope to have the doors open to bring people in, friends and family in, in December. Um, we're hoping to have some kind of New Year's party there uh, with friends and family. And then we hope to be open in January, maybe February. At the okay. Place. But we All just right. want to be, we want to be completely ready to open the doors before we do. Even if the building's ready, we still want to make sure that all of our ducks in a row mm-hmm. before we sure. before we get service going. If people want to follow that journey, what's the best way? Is it like your Instagram page, Facebook page? Yeah, I'd say probably our Instagram page. Yeah, Instagram El Burro and the Bull at El Burro and the Bull. Close. Burro and bull. Burro and bull. Yeah. And, okay. uh, or or uh, at Henderson and Kane. Yeah, both okay. places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we keep images up there. Um, and so you'll is, go. I'll go ahead. What's go ahead. great about the two places is that people I think that didn't know El Burro and the Bull, or maybe only knew Henderson and Kane, have really started to connect the two together mm-hmm. and see um, how they're similar and how they're different. Uh, which has been kind of fun. So, so for all those that are going to listen in that area, you're going to keep Henderson and Kane open, correct? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh my good. gosh, the neighbors would kill me if we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's um, we look forward to having both projects for yeah. sure. And um, and they'll be. I mean, they're different. They're very, very different. Yeah. So last thing is, any special shout outs? Anybody you want to thank? Anybody you want to give? You know, praise to. And I'm sure there's a ton, but I mean. Who, who would you like to give a special shout out to? Either, both of you. For me, I would say a super shout out to my grandparents and my uncle Tony. I would say to Jesse. Oh yeah, to Jesse, my brother-in-law, Veronica's brother. Um, we brought him on board uh, shortly after we opened the doors, and again, it wouldn't be the same without him. There's no way. Um, he's a huge part of it. He's a huge influence on us, and and he's really good at what he does. I, um, and very humble. And very humble. A very humble guy. When you meet him, you'd never know how much of an impact he actually has right. on us. But uh, great guy. Great guy. And for you? That was mine. And one thing, one thing I really would like to say is that, you know, to, there's a lot of restaurants opening and a lot of guys that are, you know, popping places up. And I think that it's really important to remember that we're, when we have restaurants and you know, customers walk into our door. Uh, we're literally making things with our hands that people eat. You know, we're making things, we're creating things, and at the very least, we hope that customers are satisfied with what they're getting. And at the most, you know, on the other end of that, we hope that uh, celebrations for families and and just downtime when families mm-hmm. can spend time around a table, which is very American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope that that a lot of these restaurants that are opening remember that and 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 really really know that what they're doing for people and for their customers is really important because it's it's a big part of people's lives you know um, you you can serve parents you serve kids those kids grow up they get married they have mm-hmm. kids and they're still at your restaurant and it's because they love what you do and they feel good about what you provide for them yeah so we have to remember that and we have to remember that um uh, you know, there's more candles, uh, butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers, it seems now, than there have been for a long time. 
and, uh, and these things that we do are very important to the culture, uh, not only in America, but in Houston. And um, remember that and, uh, and do well and good luck to everybody. That's, that's a great word. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, that's a great way to finish off the podcast. I, I've enjoyed your food. I've enjoyed working with you, and I've enjoyed talking with you, and I, I'm, I'm really grateful that you guys took car of time out to come and oh, man, educate it. us on who you are and, yeah, and, really uh, it, and hanging out. Y'all are, y'all are so chill, too. <laughs> I feel like y'all might have, like, marijuana growing in your backyard. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was I'm not judging. I'm just saying. <laughs> Look how quickly that building's going. I'd be freaking <laughs> one, like crazy. One day. One day. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Thank you all so much for taking the time. You know, we really appreciate it. So to all of the listeners, like and subscribe. Five stars, five stars. We're out of here. The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Zero Point Organics grows and supplies microgreens for over 30 major restaurants in the Houston area. Consistently perfect quality and flavor and appearance, their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero, Z-E-R-O, dash pointorganics.com. Duke's Premium Meats Home Delivery is committed to providing you with the best quality meat delivered right to your door. Offering certified Angus beef, grass-fed beef, Wagyu, and many more premium options, nobody beats Duke's Meats. Make sure to check out all that Duke has to offer at dukespremiummeats.com. Chriswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today. Bernie Brand Texas-style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent Texas. Go to BernieBrand.com to find a retailer near you. That's Bernie, B-O-E-R-N-E, Brand.com.